What is happening? It is the Colby Daniels Podcast, along with Aaron Davis. I am, in fact, Colby Daniels. Uh, Aaron, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We haven't uh, we haven't done a podcast since before Christmas, but uh, uh, you were uh, you were filling in on the Blitz, at least, so we were able to, uh, to talk a little sports before the holiday. What's happening, man? Not much. Just uh, we were talking before we started recording about how both of us are just, like, pathetic, sick losers right now. Um, yeah. But... It's good, man. It's good. Uh, trying to have more, more positive outlook for 2022 as a, is this the cliche for every new year is to be positive for the first two weeks and then ultimately be crushed by the crippling reality of life. But, uh, I'm feeling good right now. Feeling good. Uh, sports are good right now. Life's good. It's all good. Although I will say has been the gift that keeps giving, right? Yes. A hundred percent. Uh, all, except for the you know college football playoff, which is the gift yeah. it never gives. Um, I will say though, so my family's always done like two Christmases, one with my dad's family, one with my mom's family. Everyone that was at my mom's family, which is all this year was only like thirteen people, fourteen people. Every one of them, except for me and Rosie, have COVID. Oh, ouch! So. I, I don't know. Either we're just like lucky that we haven't gotten it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Chris was like 10 days ago, so I'm pretty positive that I don't have COVID from that. But yeah, every single person there got sick because my, my brother had tested positive like the day after. So I know that like it was there. But we never we never showed symptoms, never got sick or anything like that. And I mean, we don't go anywhere. So yeah, it's not like we were going out with anybody at risk. But yeah, wild. Everybody in the family except for person i live with and myself got sick that's crazy man well no one was sick that day either nobody had anything no i mean my brother started getting sick the day after but like that day like i mean everybody was fine wow well little man had covid like a month before school started in the fall and uh you know we like lauren and i never got anything it was crazy i mean we just assume like we're definitely gonna get it and then because you know I, i was uh at home 24 hours a day at that point, like we've just basically, he and I just took the upstairs floor over and kind of tried to stay like upstairs as much as possible. And then Lauren just, you know, cause she was actually going to work. Um, she had the downstairs floor. So we just kind of like quarantined upstairs, but even, even me being the person that was mostly taking care of him. So she could still go to work. Like I never got anything. And he just kind of like stayed in his room most of the time. I set up like a TV in there, set up the PlayStation, a DVD player. So he was pretty entertained he's got a shit ton of toys like it was it was honestly like other Literally than him being miserable like it was paradise for a kid in that room right. but uh yeah and we, we like i was shocked that i never got it and um you know i had tested multiple times at the beginning and end of it and never got it it was crazy it's crazy but uh, wild yeah. but yeah omnicron man okay. omnicron the I'm, worst of the decepticons i'm pretty sure that uh everybody in san antonio I felt like had uh, had something. COVID. It may not have been I, COVID, look. but everybody in San Antonio had something because the Riverwalk, number one, was like fucking Mardi Gras. I mean, it was like being on Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras, Aaron. there I know you've been to the Riverwalk a million times. Yeah. There, I've never seen it like that. There were so many damn people. There were parts of it you literally couldn't couldn't walk through. Like, people no. packed in so tightly that there was nowhere to walk. Like, it was standing still. I thought people were going to end up in the river. It was just, it was wild. And um, like I said, like, I, you know, I'm not saying everybody had COVID, but, you know, it's that time of year where everybody gets cold, which I've had a head cold for a week. 
just got back from the doctor um, day before yesterday. So anyway, uh, yeah, everybody there is like sniffling and coughing and clearing their throat. And, you know, I think dealing with either the same head cold type stuff that I've currently got or uh, maybe COVID. But yeah, it was it was pretty wild to have that many people packed into a small place. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm vaccinated and all that. I wasn't necessarily worried about uh, getting anything. But, uh, you know, it's like one of those things where because when you haven't been around that many people packed into a small place, like, like whoa, I haven't seen that in a while. Was it like a lot of OU and Oregon fans, like people there for the bowl game? Or was it just like a random just because it was the a week after a few days after Christmas and it was like in the 60s? I think it was probably the combination of the last thing and OU fans. Okay. Dude, I probably saw, like, I'm not exaggerating with this number, maybe 10 people wearing Oregon gear until I got, until I actually got to the game. Half of them were probably from San Antonio too. Yeah. Like there was, it was wild to walk around San Antonio for two days and literally see green nowhere. It was a sea of crimson in every direction around that San Antonio downtown Riverwalk area. I feel like Oregon's an interesting program because I feel like they have a good spattering of like random Oregon fans across the country just because of like the coolness of the brand, Nike, like yeah. you know, the uniforms and all that stuff. So I think like young kids attracted Oregon that don't have like a natural like geographical team like in San Antonio, like they're yeah. not a Texas or an A&M fan, like they might be drawn to Oregon or whatever. But like I don't know that Oregon is a t- as a fan base that travels well you know, outside of like, you know, Northern the Pacific Northwest. But yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, I, I know they've got a spatter. I see Oregon jerseys every now and then occasionally, but yeah, yeah I would, that's definitely not a 50, uh, 50 split on, yeah. on fan travel between those two programs, especially considering that OU is what, like a two hour flight from Oklahoma city or like a six hour drive, seven hour drive compared to, you know, halfway across the country. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, what is it, 40 minutes to Dallas? Like, I had to go through Dallas to get to San Antonio. I don't I don't even know if they offer direct flights or not. I didn't book my flight, but uh, I had to go to Dallas, which is, what, 40 minutes in the air, and then San Antonio is, like, the exact same amount of time. Yeah. So, I mean, you sit on the airplane longer to, like, board and put your luggage up and, like, wait for everybody yeah. to get going than it actually takes to, to fly. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's literally up and down, and then you change flights and then up and down, and you spend maybe a, a total of, like, an hour and 10 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes in the air getting to San Antonio. But uh, yeah, so when we left that morning, uh, when I left, I left on, on that Tuesday morning before the bowl. And, and I guess on Monday, like everywhere, there were flight delays and it was chaos. And I got to Will Rogers, dude. Uh, have you flown out of Will Rogers since they have the new setup where the security is on the one end instead of in the middle? I've, I've never actually flown out of Will Rogers. I was oh, okay. Uh, I, I, every time I fly, I just end up driving to DFW because... It just ends yeah. up being cheaper or I can get direct flights. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, so they, they, they redid Will Rogers um, a while back, but this is the first time I've flown out since they, they redid it. But security's on one end of the, of the uh, airport. And I mean, I've, you know, there've been lines at times to get through security, but it went all the way down the entire airport to the point that it took me an hour and a half to get through security in Oklahoma city, which is completely unheard of. An hour and a half right. that morning to get through security. Luckily, I got there two hours before my flight. So it takes an hour and a half to get through security. And then literally as I got through security, they're making an announcement. Like my flight was 30 minutes away from boarding or the scheduled time. And they're they're making the call in the intercom. Last call or, or last boarding call for flight whatever. 
And I'm like, holy shit, this thing isn't scheduled to leave for 30 minutes. So I'm like booking it to the other side of the airport. I'm the last one to get on the plane. And uh, again, we, we were like backing out 20 minutes before it was time, which I, I appreciated. And then as we're on the runway, we come to a dead stop and the uh, the pilot lets out a deep sigh. He's like, we have a 55 minute delay because oh there's only God. one operational runway at this airport and there is a long line of airplanes waiting to take off. So everybody feel free to unbuckle your seatbelts and move around the cabin. We're going to be here a while. Look, I, I know that Oklahoma City is not like a... Uh, a hub or yeah. a traveler's destination, but it is still a city with half a million people, if not, you know, close to a million when you include the metro. Why is there only one runway operating know. at the airport? Know. It was crazy. So th the best part, though, is so people are unbuckling their seatbelt. People are getting up and going to the bathroom, moving around. And uh, probably about 10 minutes later, the guy comes back on the on the intercom, like more excited than I think I've ever heard anybody in my life. And he's like. There is a brief opening for us to cut the line and take off. Everybody get in your seats and buckle your seatbelts. And I'm not kidding you. As soon as he said that, we started moving. And within probably two minutes, we are like full speed going down the runway about to take off. There are still people walking around. There's still people in the bathrooms. The flight attendants aren't even like buckled in. But it was just like that moment where you're, you know, like if you're coming out of a parking lot and you're going to go left. And so you have to cross like two lanes of traffic to go left. It was like he sees a brief opening, and I mean, he floored it to like you, jump into the line and take off, and like we were off the ground in like seconds. It was awesome. You know what? You know, you know what the case is. That pilot lives in Dallas, and that flight was his last flight of his probably, shift. Probably, yeah. And he's like, "Oh my, I just want to fucking get home." Right. So I'm stuck on this runway in stupid Oklahoma City with one runway operating, and then like I also just imagine that like he didn't even get like approval from like air traffic control. He's just like, "I'm going for it." Yeah. I'm cutting. Yeah. Nobody's going. I'm doing it. Yeah. It That's was hilarious. Though. It was funny. But yeah, we for we, a 45 uh, minute flight for a 45 minute, for minute, a flight, 40 yeah. minute flight. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, <sighs> We're delayed 55 minutes. This airport only has one operational runway. It's going to be a while. It was so funny. And then whoosh. He's like, he's like I'm 45 minutes from being home and going yeah. to sleep. I'm stuck on this runway for 50 minutes. Yeah. It was That's wild. Nice. It was wild. But yeah, San Antonio was a wild scene, man. I mean, it was packed with Sooner fans and they were happy, dude. Like it was, it, you know, if you had asked me a month ago, if I thought that was going to be the scene in San Antonio, I would have said absolutely not. Right. Because it was a massive disappointment at the end of this year, not only losing Bedlam, but I mean, this team had national championship expectations. Not only do they not reach those, they don't even get to the Big 12 championship game, which they've won, what, six straight going into this year? Yeah, I mean, not only national championship expectations from within the fan base, but from like a national like yeah. perspective, like they were more or less one of the four teams that were penciled in prior to the season. Not only that, they were penciled in to be have a Heisman favorite who ended up playing. Did he even play half the games? He played what like four games? Yeah, I think Texas was five game games. five of the season. Yeah. Um, now I will say though, while things did were starting to look a little bit better, you know, once the Venables hire was announced and. You know, they go in there and trounce Oregon in the in the Alamo Bowl. Uh, I don't know that you think you think Oklahoma fans are still as giddy after the last couple of days. I don't know that they're as giddy, but it's 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 such an interesting dynamic because I feel and and look, this is not just a sooner thing. I feel like to some degree, all fan bases are like this, but everybody loves their guy, right? And as soon as you're not their guy, they don't love you anymore, or you know, they maybe downplay how good you were. And we saw this with Lincoln Riley, right? Like. The day before Bedlam, if you had asked any Sooner fan who the best coaches in college football are, 
Lincoln Riley is absolutely somebody that every Sooner fan is going to name as one of the best coaches in college football. Yep. He leaves. He still should be. He, yeah, he leaves. And all of a sudden, there's <clears throat> kind of this like, well, he wasn't that good anyway, or oh, there were things that he didn't do well, which, look, other than Nick Saban, that's true of everybody. Like, Lincoln Riley had his shortcomings, but he's still a really good football coach. Um, right. So this idea that, that, like, you know, they they got rid of this guy that was just no good at all to me is, like, somewhat bothersome because uh, the guy was a really good coach, still is a really good coach, great offensive mind. I, I've said this a million times, I think, in terms of representing and selling the brand uh, because that's one of the major jobs of a college football coach, that CEO aspect of like always promoting your brand from a recruiting standpoint. Like he's really good at that. And, uh, you know, he goes away and then there's this like, well, you know, whatever. And it's almost like not that uh, people are saying Caleb Williams isn't any good, but Caleb Williams goes into the transfer portal and then all these uh, people are like, well, Dylan Gabriel is just as oh, good. Yeah. And I had somebody tell me yesterday that Dylan Gabriel probably would have beaten out Caleb Williams in a quarterback battle if Caleb Williams comes back anyway. And I'm like, dude, no, no, Dylan Gabriel's a it's, terrific okay. football player. First like, that, oh, you could win the Big 12 championship with Dylan Gabriel. That's how good he is. But he's not a game changer like Caleb Williams. Like there's a big difference between Caleb Williams' overall ability and Dylan Gabriel. Like Dylan Gabriel's not winning that quarterback battle. Dylan Gabriel's not OU starting quarterback if Caleb Williams is on campus. Caleb Williams was a true freshman this year. Yeah. A true freshman. And in his first game, came in down double digits, right? They were down – what were they down when he came into that game against Texas? What, 17 it was at least maybe? Two, yeah, at least two touchdowns. Yeah. In an OU-Texas game as a true freshman, the first time he sees the field like in meaningful snaps, isn't it? OU-Texas game down two touchdowns. Obviously, we know what he does. He was amazing in that game. Came back and – like just the fact that like – he had the balls as a true freshman to get in that situation to not be overwhelmed. And then obviously, look, there were some down moments obviously throughout the rest of the season, but again, he's a true freshman. Yeah. There's absolutely no reason, no matter where he's at next year, whether he's at OU or at a different school, that he is not going to be one of the Heisman favorites. He's one of the best quarterbacks in college football already. I mean, look at the Heisman great- Trophy winner this year. Like Bryce Young wasn't terrible in the early stages, but Bryce Young was a completely different player in the first month of the season from the guy that we saw beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, like a completely different player. Yeah. And look, I, I get the, I get the idea that there these guys, you want these guys to be loyal to that, to that logo and to your, to your brand and your team. But Caleb Williams, first off, I think we need to take a moment and like acknowledge the type of dude he is. Cause he easily could have set out the Alamo bowl. Yeah, it's not like course. he played the Alamo bowl and then he was like, "Nah, I'm going to enter the transfer portal and see what's out there. He, that was already in his mind before the Alamo bowl. That was a week ago. He already knew that he was going to do this. Yes. He still, but he still went out there and played in that Alamo bowl for what, I mean, for what reason, rather than just playing that game, there really was no reason for him to do play that game. If he was going to transfer. Well, he said that he said in the post game and, and I want to give him a lot of credit because for a true freshman, to um, have the maturity and leadership that he displayed, uh, I thought he was tremendous. Um, and and just observing him, not just with you know the the answers that he gave that were caught on camera, but just his interactions with Coach Stoops and uh, his teammates, and just all the off camera interactions that he had. Like the guy is is really impressive, handles himself the right way. But yeah, I mean, he said, you know, I wanted to do this for the veterans on this football team. Like you know, we're in a position now where we lost coaches, we lost a bunch of players. Like. These guys deserve to go out the right way, and I wanted to play in this game and put forth my best effort for those guys. And, um, you know, I thought that was awesome of him. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, there was a lot of shock, I think, for 
the fan base that he went into the transfer portal, which is completely stupid because the minute Lincoln Riley left, this guy was always going to evaluate his options. Like 100% when Lincoln Riley left, he was going to evaluate his options because he only came to Oklahoma for Lincoln Riley. He didn't come to Oklahoma because he likes Norman or he's been a Sooner fan or anything else. It was one reason and one reason only. He chose Lincoln Riley because Lincoln Riley could prepare him for the NFL because Lincoln Riley has three quarterbacks in the NFL. Best at it. Yeah. He's the best at it in in the entire landscape of college football. He's the best at preparing quarterback in the NFL. I mean, look what he did for Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Jalen Hurts got benched in a national championship game, transferred for OU, OU for one year. It's a second-round pick, and now he's a starting quarterback in the NFL and very likely is going to make the playoffs. Yeah. In the second year, and also uh, nearly got killed. Yeah. By collapsing stands, but I, I saw somebody but, say, you know, like, if when Caleb Williams just said, like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna enter the transfer portal. Oklahoma's still in the mix, but I'm gonna look around. Right. I saw somebody say, you know, if you're married, you don't like go evaluate your options. And if you're gonna stay with your wife, yeah. yeah. My point is, he wasn't married to Oklahoma. Like, the, it, if Riley. you want to use yeah. that metaphor, that's fine. But he was married to Lincoln Riley. He wasn't married to Oklahoma. He married Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley left. So now he's looking at all of his options. This is not this, this is an Oklahoma thing. And for the record, I think he likes Oklahoma a lot. I think he likes Norman. I think he likes this entire experience that he's just gone through, which is why I think Oklahoma has a chance. But this idea that like, you know, he he's just leaving uh, and, and putting Oklahoma in this spot. He was only here for one reason. If Lincoln Riley hadn't been the head coach, Caleb Williams would have never even considered Oklahoma. I don't think Oklahoma thinks Oklahoma has a chance. Based on that that statement they put out yesterday, I don't think that they have – I don't think that they believe that they have a good fighting chance in keeping him because they seem desperate. Like, I understand that there's, like, the notion that, like, they shouldn't be trying this hard to keep one player. Caleb Williams is special. Like, they should yes. want to keep him. But to do it publicly is a different thing than to, like, say all this stuff privately to him. So, like – it seems like they're throwing all their cards on the table to try to keep Caleb Williams at this time, which, I mean, it was a day after he announced he was going to go to the transfer portal. But And also, look, I don't blame him for going to the transfer portal because, like you said, like we talked about, he came for Lincoln Riley. Not only that, every skill position player, essentially, is they're leaving. Yeah. Like, he's, all of the weapons that he's worked with this year, I mean, I don't know all of them, but, like, at least half of them, they're gone. Like, a bunch of receivers are are gone. Mario Williams entered the transfer portal. Kennedy Brooks announced he's going to the draft. Um is, Hazelwood left, Drake, uh, Stogner left. Hazelwood left, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... Mike Woods is leaving, I mean, it's a complete right? exodus in that offense. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't I don't blame him. And, too, like, I don't know what kind of NIL money that these dudes can make in Norman, but, like, I know that they... If he goes to, like... First off, USC's got a quarterback opening. Keaton Slovis is into the transfer portal. I don't think he's landed anywhere yet, though, but... Yeah. He didn't end up hit. Okay. Yeah. So, it's completely po- possible that he ends up back with Lincoln Riley. I, you know, UCLA now has a quarterback opening. I don't know if he wants to go play for UCLA... Per se, I don't know why you would leave OU for UCLA other than to go make some NIL, NIL money yeah. in, in LA. But like that is a factor now. Like where you he, this dude can go make because he's gonna make a lot of money on an NIL deal. Yeah. He's gonna have two more years in college as being a top ten, top five quarterback in both seasons. Yeah, I mean Bryce Young got a million dollars before he ever played a game or started a game at Alabama, and he won the national champ. Or he's playing for a national championship, and he won a Heisman. So like. I mean, sometimes these deals are warranted for these, these, I mean, these kids making these money on the NIL deals. And Caleb Williams, for sure, is going to have a lot of people willing to throw money at him. Absolutely. He's going to make a ton of money in this deal. I think NIL will be a factor, but I don't think it's the deciding factor. Um, his in game is the NFL. Uh, unless it's UCLA. UCLA is the, right. 
if he goes to UCLA, it's very obvious that NIL yes, is like a big. Yes, I, big, I would completely agree with that. that. Um, and and look, I could be wrong. I I, I think that the way they're going to do this, or kind of how I envision this going down, is they're going to put together the list of choices that make the most sense from an NFL preparation standpoint, from a coaching staff, from a supporting cast standpoint that can best prepare him for the NFL. And then of that list, then I think that's where the NIL stuff starts coming into play, right? Like you you decide where are the options that make sense from the NFL standpoint, and then you start looking at the money among that that small group. For example, if like some random Fresno State donor was to throw out $10 million or, you know, I'm just throwing out a number. Right. I don't think automatically Fresno State would get him because they're the highest bidder. You know what I mean? For like, sure. I think it's going to be a football yeah. decision with NIL heavily involved. So with that being said, what, I mean, what, where are the landing spots that would prepare him best for the NFL? Obviously, USC is, if they're one, they're, they're up. I don't know if they're one, but they're up there. I think, Maybe honestly, like Aaron, I think USC is a worse position than Oklahoma only because that's a rebuild. Their offensive line is trash. Like Lincoln Riley Lincoln is a Riley. great offensive mind, but he's not, I don't think that that offense right now is prepared for him to play at the highest level, at least in the first year, maybe in the second year. But I, I feel like the supporting cast for me would be a step down uh, on the offensive side of the ball. If you are Caleb Williams. Okay. So I think that, I think that Texas A&M and LSU have to be considered. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I honestly think I wouldn't be surprised if he went to A and M. A and M from a money standpoint makes a lot of sense. I mean, they're not. They're. I think that Jimbo could get him prepared for the NFL. I don't know how. I, not to the you know level that Lincoln Riley could, right. but like I think he could. I think Brian Kelly could do the same thing at LSU. I mean, if you're going to leave OU, you. I mean, why would you leave OU to go to UCLA? Yeah, I don't. I don't see the UCLA thing unless, like you said, it's just a a complete money, money grab. Um, yeah, Texas A&M, I think, as a player, again, I don't think that's as good a situation as you currently have at Oklahoma. I think LSU is a, a possibility. I, I also don't think that's as good a situation as you have at Oklahoma. Although I will say, I just uh, found out last night that Kayshawn Booty, who's uh, the number one receiver in college football, pulled his name back out of the portal to stay at LSU. So take that for what it's worth. I mean, he's going to be a first-round draft pick. I mean, things don't just like, happen uh, randomly like that. Yeah, a lot like Jamar Chase. Like, that dude is unbelievable. Uh, so he's going back to LSU. So maybe there's something there. The only one to me that I feel like is definitely what I would say a better situation than he currently has, because I think there are question marks at a lot of other places, just like there are maybe at staying at OU. The only one that makes more sense than anything is Georgia. Right? I don't see. I don't get Georgia. Why? I think he's going to go to Georgia because I think I think he goes to Georgia, and I think Kirby Smart and that, that coaching staff plays it too conservative. Like I mean, we've seen Dude, they play it conservative here. because they have Stetson Bennett. Well, I know, but they play conservative when they had Jake Fromm, and Jake Fromm obviously didn't turn out to be great. But like after like early in his career at Georgia, Jake Fromm was was pretty damn good, and like had a lot of potential. And like they just never opened it up for him. And I don't think that I don't think that coaching staff has any intentions on having. I, I think they want to run the ball. When they Do you know who their, their the offensive offense. coordinator is? Not off the top of my head. Todd no. Monken. Okay, well he's one of the best in the country. I, he he got look, there last year. So okay. I mean, blaming all right, well, all right. blaming the Jake that's Fromm fair. offense on Todd Monken is, is, is that's that's not relevant. That's fair. Todd Unless Monken got Kirby there last Smart, year. Like, he was he was the OC at, at OSU during Brandon Whedon's 2011 right. season. He's been in the fair. NFL for a long time. Like Todd Monken is as good as there is as far as OCs in college football. That's fair. I did, I was not aware that Monken uh, was the OC there. Um, that, I mean that's fine. Unless it, unless Kirby Smart's just like overpowering, just like <laughs> yeah, this is what I want to do, but. I mean, look, obviously it's a better situation overall. Like they're way better set up to win in college football. I just, 
if pro development is a serious thing he is factoring in, I don't know that Georgia is necessarily the, the heap of the, 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 the top dog as far as landing spots. Now, if he wants to go somewhere and win while he's in college, then Georgia absolutely is like the premier destination that he could go to outside of Alabama, which he's not going to go to because they have Bryce Young. So, or Ohio State, and Ohio State has CJ Stroud. So, like, Georgia makes 100 like, makes complete sense for him to go there if he's trying to win. But just as far as like pro development and getting ready for the NFL, I, I don't know that it's the best case scenario. I, I think you're going to be hard pressed to find any other college situations that have an offensive coordinator that's literally been an NFL offensive coordinator in the last couple of years. Yeah. Monken I mean, was the OC at Tampa in 2018, OC in Cleveland in 2019, and then he, he landed at Georgia. I don't know, man. I need to I, – I, it's just one of those things where I, I got to see that Georgia as a program and Kirby Smart as a head coach is willing to, you know, just let a quarterback improvise and just make plays. Well, you have to have the right quarterback to be able to do that, though, Aaron. I understand. That's the point. I, I understand. No, I understand. But, I'm, like, I still need to – and Caleb Williams could go there and it could happen, but I still, like, in reserve because I, – well, I know they haven't had that guy that could do it like Caleb Williams. I still just haven't seen it. Yeah. So I can't – it's hard for me to just assume that he's going to go there and Kirby Smart's just going to be like, dude, just go out there and make plays. Because I don't know, like, college, especially in college, like, a lot of college football coaches are very stubborn in the way that they their systems are run and, like, the kind of style of football they want to play. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Todd Monken air it out, and we've seen Todd Monken sure. in college football run different – I mean, we've seen him run different offenses. And I think the, the thing you have to appreciate about him, and this is what I think makes a great offensive coordinator, this is also why Lincoln Riley's so good. You build your offense around what your quarterback's skill set is. Right, The Jalen Hurts offense was completely different than the Kyler Murray offense. What did Lincoln Riley do? He built the offense around specifically the strengths of that quarterback and minimized that quarterback's deficiencies. Todd Monken currently is doing the exact same thing with Stetson Bennett. He's not making Stetson Bennett do things that he's not capable of doing. Stetson Bennett has some obvious limitations, and they're playing to Stetson Bennett's strengths, limiting his deficiencies. Todd Monken, I think, would do the exact same thing. with The offense would open up drastically if Caleb Williams is the quarterback there. You would hope so. For sure. I mean, and you get to play under center more. You get to run more pro style offense. You're going to play under center. You're going to play in the shotgun. It's going to be a combination of, you know, the wide open college offenses mixed with, you know, what we're seeing in the NFL mixed with the old school, like under center uh, type scenario. I think, I think that gets him as NFL ready as any situation in college football. Yeah. Like, I'm a little skeptical on Georgia, obviously. Um, But I mean, if you're going to leave OU, I mean, you need to go up. Unless it's literally, like we said, just NIL thing or like yeah. you want to go play for Lincoln Riley. Otherwise, you really, he needs to go to the SEC. You know, I don't think like Michigan, I mean, Michigan has Caden McNamara. He's not leaving. So like, I don't think that Michigan's necessarily a great spot for him to go to, especially if Harbaugh's leaving, which he said that he is, you know, interested in listening about the Raiders job, which means he's going to go to Las Vegas if they offer him the job. Yeah. I think you got, I mean, I don't know where you go unless it's the SEC or USC. I think uh, I think Oklahoma makes sense from the standpoint. Or staying, yeah, obviously staying. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Lebby just uh, produced Matt Corral, right, at Ole Miss. We saw a lot of development over Matt Corral in the last two years. He's going to be a first-round pick now. Yeah. He went from being a not yeah. not mentioned to a first-round pick. It's uh, it's an offense that also will um, you know, be wide open at times, but heavily involves the quarterback's dual-threat ability. Um, but you're also going to have, like— one of the Lincoln Riley criticisms is that, you know, it kind of felt like he aborted establishing the run game quite a bit the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, th- that's their Jeff Levy's offense is predicated on being able to run the football. So I think the Jeff Levy offense would work well for Caleb Williams, obviously familiarity. And I th- here's another big part of this whole equation. He still has two years left in college, right? Like you have this one free transfer 
And if you feel like Oklahoma is close to the others, I almost wonder if it doesn't make more sense to stay at OU another year, evaluate it, and then you That's still have the year. transfer for your junior year, as opposed to you know saying you know what I think Oklahoma's close, but I'm going to go to this other place. And then what if it's a what if it's a disaster in year number one? You don't have another option. So, and and you mentioned the NIL. I wonder if from an NIL standpoint, it also doesn't make as much sense to just say. I'm going to do the max money grab I can at OU for a year, and then I'm going to be a free agent all over again next year and get the max amount of money somewhere else. Like, he could do literally two free agencies from now until this time a year from now and get massive money from two different places. Which, I mean, that immediately brings up a huge flaw in the system that needs to be addressed. Right. That, you know, these dudes should only be able to enter the transfer portal one time. You should be able to enter the transfer portal and be like, nah, I'm going to stay and then do it all over again another year. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't even, really, honestly, you shouldn't even be able to enter the transfer portal and stay at the school you're at. You should have to leave if you enter the transfer portal. Like, the fact that you could go date around and then decide to go back to your girlfriend. Yeah. And, like, everything's cool is, I think that's a bag of worms that's not going to be fun to deal with over the next 50 years, 100 years, whatever, it, college football. But, like... Well, the problem is, even if they don't enter the portal, they're still going to have those conversations, right? Like... That's... I mean, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Have the conversations. But, like, it's it's just completely different when the fan base doesn't know. Everything changes once everybody knows that you're talking to other schools. Yeah. I mean, it's going to happen either way. So, I guess it's just a matter of, like... Public the, perception. The, yeah. Which, I mean, that's all it is. It's all college football. is just public perception. Yeah. So, I mean, like, Caleb Williams decides to come back. Is he, like... I mean, how does I mean, how do fans react to Caleb Williams when he runs onto the field, knowing that like he was considered leaving? You know what I mean? Why? Why? But here's my question: Why wouldn't he consider leaving? He came to Oklahoma uh, no, I, for Lincoln no, Riley. I get it. I, yeah. I get it. I'm I'm looking at it from I'm trying to look at it from like a a biased OU fan yeah. perspective. I mean, and even like, if you're, you're a biased OU fan, if Caleb Williams comes back, I mean, you remember the Russell Westbrook hysteria when Russell came back after Kevin Durant left, right? Like right. Caleb Williams would get the same treatment. He would be a god here. But Russell never consider, never openly considered leaving when Kevin Durant left. Well, he may not have, like, literally said, I'm going to take offers, but... But that's what Caleb Williams literally said. I'm going yeah. to talk to other schools. Yeah. As he should. I, I don't know. As he should. I, I just, I'm just saying, I know how, like, these fan bases are. Not yeah. just OU, like, college football fan bases in general, especially at Blue Blood programs. They're, they don't forget. If he chooses if Oklahoma, out, nobody's going to be bothered by the fact that he was looking around. Right. I, that's what I believe, but... I, I would hope maybe not, I'm especially wrong. if he goes out there and performs. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy is the biggest free agent in the history of college football. And honestly, if we were doing like a college football draft today, he's a top three pick, right? It's Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and, and Caleb Williams. For sure, yeah. Let me ask you, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, though. I uh, I honestly didn't expect him to enter transfer portal at this point. But it's, oh, but I knew he the was. Fact that he, really? Yeah. When, he play, when, he, this, when he played in the Alamo Bowl, the fact that he didn't do it for the bowl game, I was like, well... Why, like, he wouldn't play in the bowl game and then enter the portal. Like, that just, it just doesn't seem, it's just not the, it's not the normal. It's not the norm for, like, the protocol for these kids entering the transfer portals to play in the bowl game and then say, hey, I'm going to talk to other schools. But, I mean, he did it. Well, and, I'll say this, like, this is part of why, I th what makes him really impressive to me is the way that he handled everything and the maturity that he displayed, I think, throughout that entire post-game press conference. And you have to also remember the moving parts of this entire equation Lincoln Riley leaves. Bob Stoops comes in. Bob Stoops is being celebrated, right? He goes into the Hall of Fame during this entire process, and he gets to kind of have the storybook ending because, you know, we all remember Bob Stoops retired in the middle of summer. There was really no, like, awesome farewell moment for Bob Stoops on the football field. So 
Bob Stoops kind of has this like storybook ending where he gets to coach one more time and gets to be celebrated as a Hall of Famer. OU fans are also celebrating Brent Venables, and you have this uh, this group of veteran players that are about to play their final football game. If Caleb Williams enters the portal before the Alamo Bowl, it literally overshadows all of that. Like that's the only conversation is Caleb Williams. So I think I think he did it the right way. I think you wait, but you know I said this on Sunday night when I did crashing the boards before Caleb Williams entered the transfer portal. I'm like. His parents were heavily involved in him making a... This was a business decision to go to Oklahoma. His parents were heavily involved in him making a business decision to go play for Lincoln Riley. And I say Lincoln Riley because he didn't choose OU. He chose Lincoln Riley. When Lincoln Riley left, he's... The moment Lincoln Riley left, they were always going to evaluate their options and look around the country. I mean, maybe OU's still in in play. Maybe OU's still the school. But they were always going to evaluate all their options for a second time because they're very business-oriented. And once again, their their mission isn't to win a Heisman Trophy or to win a national championship. It is number one overall pick in the 2020-whatever-three NFL draft. Like, that is their mission, 2024 NFL draft. They're going to choose the path that best gets them there. So I said Sunday night, like, he's going to look around and whether that happens in an official capacity where you enter the portal or they do it all in the shadows behind closed doors, like this was always going to be part of, of the, the story with Caleb Williams and whatever is next. Let me ask you this, because I just thought of another landing spot, and I wonder if you think it's I, – I know that they just signed the Cade Klubnik, the five-star quarterback out of Austin, but, I mean, is Clemson on the table? I mean, DJ Uingalele is obviously not the dude. And Clemson's, I mean, they just produced a number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence. Sean Watson, obviously, was an fir- early first-round pick. They win. I mean, they have an easy road to win, too. I don't see it because I think DJ Uyunglele's biggest issue this year was the offensive line being horrible. And then I think For he sure just lost bit, confidence yeah. and, like, didn't recover, right? It was just kind of like, I mean, you're, you know the David Carr situation, right? Like, you just— yeah. When when you have no protection up front, some guys can overcome that and some guys can't. I felt like DJ Uyunglele, like those early season issues, like he just never got past them once. I mean, it hurts when you can't move, right? Yeah. When you can't extend plays. Right. And- so I think I think two things that play for Clemson that ruled them out for me. Number one, they just lost Tony Elliott, their offensive coordinator. Uh, not that they don't have good coaches, but I mean, it's literally um, going to be a, a new system for a team that has a bad offensive line. I just I don't see it. Yeah. I mean, it's it, for the same reason that I think USC somewhat is a, a step down. It's supporting cast. Like, yeah. he's not going to go there. And I, I think there are real questions about how protected he would be in year number one at USC. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to think about, like, this. Is, I'm just curious the schools he's talking to. Because really, I mean, there's a very small select school, amount of schools that would be, you know, an upgrade or a lateral move from OU. Even with all of OU's yeah. losses and changes. But, um yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I think Georgia would be like from a from a just football standpoint. Again, NIL is going to play a role in this among I think the select favorites that they they are deciding between. But I think Georgia to me makes more sense than any other place, and I think OU would be second. Yeah, I mean, and then I think that's probably followed that. by Notre Dame, LSU. Um, I, I mean, I, I the A and M one is a little bit interesting. I don't know. Their quarterback just tra- it's transferring, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. They, they got yeah. the kid from LSU, but I, I don't like, nobody's going to, st- I don't think that other than Bryce young or CJ Stroud, I don't nobody's think there's a quarterback that's going to prevent Caleb Williams from going to that school. You know what I mean? Like right. I heard uh, on Monday night after dime time, Dylan Gabriel chose Oklahoma that like Caleb's never going to come back now. 
listen, Dylan Gabriel is a good football player, but Dylan Gabriel is not so good that Caleb Williams is going to be scared to choose Ca Oklahoma. Caleb Williams was willing to walk on at OU and compete with a Heisman favorite. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, he's not. Caleb Williams is awfully. Caleb Williams was playing, like making business decisions to go to college for the NFL in high school. Like the dude, right. no, think he is aware how good he is. Yes, he knows what's happening. So. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel, or what's the LSU kid that went to A&M? Is it Max Johnson, maybe, or something like that? Yeah, it sounds right. Um, yeah, I don't think... That, that dude's not stopping Caleb Williams from uh, from doing that. No chance. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, though, uh, Spencer Sanders, uh, is he just the greatest quarterback of all time? <laughs> Unbelievable, right? It's Vince Young. Dude. You know Vince Young played in, in Stillwater? Like, he, how do you... Like, it's incredible that he went from playing as bad as he did against Baylor. Four interceptions... In what was like a Bill Buckner type performance, right? Like I thought yeah. after the Big 12 championship, that was going to be the career defining moment for Spencer Sanders. Like I, I was just like, there, I don't know that, that you was, can shake that. For a game that would have got them into the playoffs, most likely. Well, the way it shook out, I don't think they would have gotten not, in. But, right. but yeah, but there still, was a chance. There was a day, chance. On that day, you know, that game is to get in the playoffs. That's right. And win the Big 12. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah. To, and he, then just. He went for 371 in the air. 125 on the ground, four touchdowns, no turnovers, and it all pretty much happened after they were down by 21 points at halftime. Like, unreal. I mean, it was one of the most incredible performances I've seen in college football in a, in a few years. Like, just because, especially from the fact that, like, I never would have seen it coming. I never would have saw that coming. Right. I, there's no way that you could have told me that Spencer Sanders was not only going to lead Oklahoma State to a victory over Notre Dame, which is believable, but to do it and to put up the numbers that he put up. Right is just insane. Like, that game played out completely opposite of how I would have ever expected it to play out. I would have never thought Notre Dame would throw 68 times. Oh, and right? I never would have thought, right? Yeah, and I never would have thought Oklahoma State would, you know, score 37 points and Spencer Sanders would have 500 yards of offense by himself. Notre Dame's best player, Kyron Williams, the running back, didn't even play in the game. If you had told me that Notre Dame was going to score 28 points in the first half against that defense... He yeah. said, you're out of your mind. And all, and Jack Cohn like, starts channeling Notre Dame Joe Montana in the first half. And I'm like, what on earth is happening? And then I also thought, like, losing Jim Knowles is massive. But in one game with that veteran roster, all That's of those fine, coaches yeah. have been there, I mean, predating Jim Knowles' arrival in Stillwater. I thought you might have a small step down, but I don't think you see significant changes. And at halftime, I thought, good Lord, this is a complete catastrophe. But to their credit, they, uh, they yeah, seven straight Gundy, stops yeah. in the second half. Uh, Spencer Sanders, you know, if you had asked me at halftime of that game, 28 to seven, like what's Spencer Sanders going to do? I'm like, I, I don't feel good about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, they haven't been able to score all season, especially like Spencer Sanders definitely hasn't been able to like lead, can, you know, drive after drive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's great job by Gundy and that coaching staff to make adjustments at halftime. Cause I mean, like you said, they were down 28 to 14 at half and then they come out and win the second half with 23 to seven and Spencer Sanders like just that, yeah. lights up Notre Dame. Like, Great, I mean, just a great job making adjustments at halftime. And, I mean, Gundy and the entire coaching staff and obviously all the players, like, amazing job this season. And yeah. hopefully it continues and hopefully it's not just a one-off and, you know, they come out next year and go 8-4. and four. Yeah, we'll see. Um, he's just – he's one of those guys – I mean, we've known this since early in his career. His high end is really good. The problem is the low end is so low and everything in between yeah. is on the table, right? It's not like there's this – small margin of like his best to his worst and like you're going to fit that into a little window like the window for his play is massive because he can be as good as anybody in the country 
Like that was a Heisman, you know, that was a Brian Keating told me this Sunday night. Like if you had if you had Spencer Sanders do that 12 times in a season, he's the Heisman trophy winner. 100%. Oh, I mean, well, yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> he had 500 yards a game, yes. Yeah, 500 yards, four times. like his high end is amazing, but the problem is you just you you never know if you're going to get that guy or the guy that's going to throw four interceptions or the guy that's just going to be somewhere in the middle. Do nothing. Like, yeah, like like he like the Boise State game. Yeah, it's all on the table. Like, yeah. it's all on the table every single time he takes the field, which is, I think, why a lot of fans are frustrated with him over the years, because you know that there's special ability there. You just, you don't know when you're going to get it or how often it's going to show up. Yeah. I mean, look, next year is going to be a vitally huge year for Oklahoma State, for Gundy and, like, that entire program, because OU's in a bit of a transition period. And if Caleb Williams comes back, that, that changes things a little bit. But, like, yeah. this is a good opening for them to establish themselves as, like, the premier team of the Big 12 moving forward. With OU and Texas leaving, like this is their chance to like establish themselves as like the dominant program or like the team to beat in the Big Twelve yep. for the next ten years or fifteen years or whatever. And like you said, but I mean you can't have you can't have Spencer Sanders be a roller coaster from game to game. You can't have you know Gundy folding when there's expectations on Oklahoma State going into the season. Like like I'm trying to think about it. Like outside of like 2011, every year that there's high expectations for Oklahoma State going into a season, it feels like they don't they don't meet them or even come close. Hundred percent. And those expectations are going to be there next year. You got a quarterback coming back that just had 500 yards against Notre Dame in a January Six Bowl or New Year's Six Bowl. You've got, I mean, you're running. They've proven over the past five years that like they produce running backs at a high level. So and, you would and assume pass catchers. I mean, yeah, skill catchers. positions never an issue for OSU. Right. Defense is great. I know that you're losing a few guys on the defensive end, but you they should still be very good next year. They're still going to be and obviously very good Jim. Team. Right. And obviously losing Jim Knowles is a huge loss. You would hope that hopefully they bring in a DC that you know, can keep that going. But, like, there's absolutely no reason they shouldn't win 10 games next year. And there's no reason that they shouldn't be competing to play in the Big 12 championship game. Like, I have no faith in Texas to be there. Iowa State's not going to be there unless they can just replace every player on their team in the matter of a year. Yeah. OU, OU should, if Caleb Williams is there, OU absolutely should be in that conversation. If they're not, like, it depends a lot on how things transition quickly over one summer with a new quarterback, a new coaching staff. But, like, I think Baylor and Oklahoma State. Baylor's losing a lot of players too. They have they were they had a lot of seniors on their team, especially defensively. Yeah, right. So I mean, this is wide open for Oklahoma State to really become dominant in the Big Twelve over the next few years. Yeah, but I mean, I don't I can't trust them until they do it because they just historically just don't do it. It'll be really interesting to see how a team like Oklahoma State is able to uh, capitalize on the transfer portal this offseason because, like, when you look at that offense, Aaron, and and the important pieces of that that whole thing tay martin was a transfer guy three touchdown catches in the in the bowl game by the way tay martin i mean spencer sanders i think overshadows tay martin's performance but what a special performance from tay martin three touchdown catches in that game jalen warren was awesome all year long and they're not even close to this point without jalen warren this season their center danny godlevsky was also a transfer guy like they they really capitalized on the transfer portal and they're a team like you said that has enough coming back with a few holes that if they can fill those via the portal with guys that can immediately step in and play at a high level, there's no reason they couldn't be right back in the Big 12 championship game next season. There's no reason they shouldn't be. Yeah. I mean, that the Big 12, unless Texas finally figures something out, which I need to see it before I believe it, like, when we're looking at a year next year where, like, there's three teams legitimately competing to play in that Big 12 title game. Yeah. I don't know, maybe if one, another team like West Virginia or something sneaks in and plays better than they expected, but, like, just looking forward, like, it might be a two-team race. It might just be a race between the Oklahoma schools next year. 
I think depending on what. Yeah. If if Baylor, I mean, if Baylor can replace the, the amount of dudes they're losing, like I I do think Dave Aranda is a great coach. Obviously, and like they were, they've been very good since he took over, and even going back to Matt Rule, and like the fact that they've come back from where they were at. I think Kansas State and TCU could be dark horses next year. Adrian Martinez going to Kansas State is, yeah. I mean, that's a huge hit for them. Kleiman's awesome. Um, TCU, I mean, uh, I I think there's a there's that's. There's a lot of talent on that roster. They obviously need to iron some things out. But, I mean, if TCU were to figure a few things out, like it's not out of the question in my mind that TCU could be a player. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't... A player uh, in, like, win eight games or a player in, like, be 11-1 or 10-2? I think two. they could be toward the top. Like, they could compete for a spot. Well, I, I, but again, like, there's still so many things at play. Like, for, for example, Zach Evans is one of the best running backs in college football. Whether he decides to stay at TCU or not will be a, a big thing in terms of what they're going to do next year, right? So... You know, there's still a lot, I think, of there's still a lot of balls in the air being juggled from all these schools that kind of have to settle before we get to the favorites. But I'm just saying, I think there's a chance if if they get the right people in place, that the, the structure's there for them to to compete. Same thing. But yeah, I think OU and OSU have to be the two favorites. Yeah, I don't know how they're not. I don't know. It'd be interesting. Um, do you care at all? I mean, outside of like, you know, it being your job. Do you care at all about the national championship game? Absolutely. Really? Yeah. Are you interested in it, though? Yeah, of course I am. Okay. I love college football, man. I know. I, lo- I like college football. I don't love college football. I like college football. Yeah. But, like, ugh, like Friday night after the, the two semifinal games that ended, and, it, like, they went how I would have been. If you asked me to pick the games, I would have picked Alabama and Georgia, so I wasn't shocked. Of course. It's just like, uh, again, okay. Luckily, the national championship game traditionally has been pretty damn good most years. And, you know, we all know the semifinal games are terrible every yeah. year, but like, I don't know. I'm just getting fatigued, man. Just. Why do people forget every year that the semifinal games are blowouts? I don't know. Like we they do this every, every year. year. People start complaining. Oh, these games suck. This is not a new thing. It happens every year. And for some reason, people forget all about it. And then when they get become blowouts again, everybody gets outraged again. Like, yeah, I don't pay attention. It happens every year. This is not a new thing. And let me like, let me say this, too. Look. If you want to expand the playoffs so you could get, like, a few more games, fine. But don't just think that because you're expanding the playoffs, Central Florida and Texas A&M have any chance of winning a national championship. Just because they get in doesn't mean that they realistically will have a chance of winning a national championship. Yeah, I mean, look, if if we're, like, having the conversation about are there 12 deserving teams, then the answer is obviously not. There's a clear separation at the top, and it, it just— There's con- two every year. —continues to grow and grow and grow, but— Here's why you expand it, I, I think, two levels. Number one, it's just stupid to play a sport where literally 90% of the teams involved in the sport have no chance to make the postseason. More than that. Yeah, more than that. You're right. Yeah. Like, like what's for, the for, point? Yeah, I mean, there is no point. That's the problem with college football is so right. many games are meaningless at the right. end of the day. Right. So, like, you do it to add meaning to, the, to, to all the teams out there that if you do everything right— you could punch your ticket to the postseason. That's what it should be about, having a chance to show if you do everything right on your end that you get a chance to go prove it on the big stage. And then, A lot look, more money, a lot more money. If you get embarrassed, you get embarrassed. But, like, there shouldn't be a sport where if you take care of your business, you still don't even get the chance. That's dumb. Now, here's the other part where if this becomes an 8- or 12-team playoff, right now, if you are a top-tier college football player, you're going to be showcased in the playoff if you go to Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, right? Like... Yeah. If there are now eight free tickets every year or 12 free tickets every year to the college football playoff, 
Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State are still certainly going to get the majority of those guys. But it becomes a lot easier for, you know, a USC or an Oregon to get a few more of those guys. Or it, it becomes easier for Big 12 schools if, they, if they're every year producing an automatic college football playoff team to say, hey, we have a path. It's more sellable to get more of the big-time players to other schools with saying, no matter what, if you win the conference, you're in. It's not like because our logo is in Alabama, it's, it's going to take a perfect storm for us to get into a college football playoff. I think I think the problem with that is, especially over the past 30 years, college football has shown they have no patience for their bowl system or the way they determine a national champion. Right. I mean, is that it, is it going to stay at eight or 12 teams? Are we going to stay in the playoff format long enough for those teams to like be able to get to a point where they're competing and convince enough players yeah, to come know. in? I don't know, because Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State are also still going to be bringing in top level recruits. Of course. And saying, you know, yes, those teams get in but they lose by 20 points in the first round and we go win national championships. Right. So like it's, it will help those other schools bring in some kids, but at the end of the day, it's still the same issue that the same four teams are still dominating. Well, sure. I mean, Alabama, but that, I mean, that's how, yeah, right. That's how college football has always been. Yeah. But I just, well, the point me, is, outside, do you want it to continue to be that way? Or do you want to at least try to make change? Like that's the question. And look, we could all just bitch about it every single year and do nothing about it and watch the same thing yeah. play out for the rest of eternity. Or we can at least try to change it. And maybe it somewhat changes and it continues to be those teams dominating, but you either at least make an effort to change it or just continue to bitch about it every year and not, and it stays the exact same. I think, I think my problem is, and the reason that I bitch about it the most is because I think that the system they had before had become very reliable. With the BCS? Yes. And I thought the BCS was much, I thought the BCS was much more enjoyable for me personally. Like it's still the same problem though, where 95% of college football literally just has like, right. why, why would you not want everybody at the beginning of the season to say, Hey, if we win all of our games, we're going to get to go play in a playoff, which, which is a problem in of itself that they decided to just only do four teams in, at the beginning. Right. Because it, it, if that's the issue that you're trying to resolve, it doesn't fix it. Yeah. I mean, maybe they thought, you know, adding two teams, we might add, change something. But like four teams is still only four teams out of a hundred and. Well, they did that because they didn't want the bowl structure to be completely wiped off the map. But like, you know, I I, I think in terms oh, of I mean, it, importance, like what what is it? I mean, ESPN makes all this money off bowl games, but then their talking heads constantly kind of downplay the bowl structure. The playoff. Yeah. Because the playoff right. is all that, quote unquote, all that matters. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that to me. Like I, and I don't know if I've just been, you know, brainwashed by talking heads, but like the bowl games don't matter as much to me as they did 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, they don't hold as much weight because they don't factor into the big picture the same way they used to. Right. Um, you know, it drives me crazy that like ESPN does nothing but promote the playoff. And then, and, and because of that, they downplay the bowl structure and then they start criticizing all these guys for not playing in the meaningless bowl games that they literally overlook to, to do nothing but you know give exposure to the college football playoff that that's hilarious I, but I didn't even know there was a bowl game last night until like halftime of the game that's funny I was like I was like oh there's a bowl game tonight yeah. which you know just want to add I mean we should add that the big 12 won another bowl game so I literally saw the same person like a week ago complaining that that bowl games are meaningless and that there are too many bowl games yesterday criticizing all of these guys for opting out of these games where there's too many of and they're meaningless. Like, how can you, how can you say there are too many bowl games and that these games are meaningless and then call these guys, 
you know, whatever. They don't love football and they have no heart because right. they're not playing in the games that you literally are proclaiming have no meaning. Like, how can you Which have that stance back, on both yeah. of those two things? That's stupid. Which circles back to the point we were making earlier about Caleb Williams and the kind of character that he has. Yeah. He played and he chose to play in a meaningless game for your team. Yeah, meaningless. Knowing yeah. that he was talking, just knowing that he was going to be talking to other schools. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was really impressed with the guy, man. Like, like I said, just observing him, not just in like the way that he answered all the questions, but all of his interactions with the teammates and with Bob Stoops and just the way that he carried himself. Like that dude's a true freshman. That's crazy to me. It kind of just adds another layer to that whole like, why didn't Lincoln let him talk to the media? Yeah. And like, because I mean, he's clearly capable. Yeah. You know what else? Five star recruit coming out of high school. Speaking I mean, of the USC the thing. Like, I know that they want to play for Lincoln Riley or they wanted to play for Lincoln Riley. I've also heard that there were some uh, pretty hard feelings over Lincoln bailing on this situation. As with, there should be. With the Williams family. Uh, but yeah. this offense this year didn't look great, right? Like, the, no. other than the Texas Tech game, most of the time when the offense looked good, it was just because Caleb Williams was doing special things. It wasn't because Lincoln Riley was drawing up great plays. I mean, I'm... How many games did it take for, I mean, we talked about earlier in the season, like how many, it took them way too long to realize that Kennedy Brooks needed 20 carries a yes. game. You and I were talking about that week number one. By far the best running back on the team, yeah. if not in the big 12 right. out there with Zach Evans. Like, why are you giving this dude 10 carries a game? Right. Like this offense never really looked good all year. Like I said, other than the tech game, they were fantastic that day, but it just it always felt like it was a struggle to run the ball and and get guys open and it just kind of felt like everything was forced they were trying to force the big play and there was no patience with the offense and what happened against Oregon they established the run game they took a lot of the short stuff and started stretching that Oregon defense and as soon as they did that all of a sudden a lot of those big plays started opening up and the offense looked as good as it's looked which, all year long which is i mean it, it it was a weird season because it's like complete opposite of what we've seen from Lincoln Riley's entire tenure yeah. at OU like the entire he, like, snap decision, like, I see this is working. Like, we're going to make that a focal point of our – like, Rodney Anderson right. is a perfect example. Right. Went from not being involved to, like, being like, okay, this guy's a difference maker. We're going to give him the ball 30 times a game now. Yeah. Like, in a matter of one week of planning. And that and this year it's just like, I don't know which quarterback's going to play. Like, legitimately for the first – not, like, just blowing smoke up everybody's ass about, like, you know, what is Kyler Murray going to end up starting over Tanner Mortar or whoever the quarterback uh, – Austin Kendall. Yeah. Um, like legitimately, they like, couldn't decide which quarterback to play through the season. Like didn't realize that the best weapon he had on his offense outside of Caleb Williams was Kennedy Brooks, who, which is crazy because he's in his entire tenure at OU has been consistently right. doing. He's just been a five and a half yard carry back for since day one. No, Aaron, like seven, seven. Okay, there you go. <laughs> even more, uh, even more than that. And then, I mean, I mean, he Kennedy Brooks obviously proved everybody to be exactly what he is. I mean, he averaged 10 yards a carry against Oregon, which isn't saying much because everybody on that OU in that backfield averaged 10 yards a carry. But still, I mean, I mean, he's Le'Veon Bell light. I don't know if he's got that ceiling in the NFL, but like you, he, he runs. He, it's like Le'Veon Bell when he runs. Yeah, I agree. And you're going to be like, that dude, eh, eight to 10 carries a game. We're going to let Spencer Sanders throw 40 times for 208 yards. Yeah, we're just going to try to take Spencer deep shots Spencer. over Spencer and over Rattler. and over. Yeah, Spencer Rattler. Yeah, yeah. and most of them aren't going to work. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It was a uh, it was a bizarre season. I mean, there's obviously the conversation was he Lincoln checked out. I mean, who, it doesn't matter at this point. He's gone to USC, and uh, I mean, OU's where they're at. I think it's gonna be a big transition year, obviously. But Kennedy Brooks you know, had three one thousand yard seasons at Oklahoma, splitting carries every year, right? With Trey Sermon, Ramondre Stevenson, uh, obviously Eric Ray this year. 
And for his career, once again, this is mind-blowing, 3,000-yard seasons, for his career, he averages 7 yards a carry. 7.0 yards per carry. I'm just curious. I'm going to... I'm going to pull up Adrian Peterson's uh, career yards per carry just for comparison. Yeah. I'm, so I'm Adrian too. Peterson, in three years, 4,041 yards. Obviously, I mean, his freshman year, he almost had 2,000 yards. So that's right. that's going to shift the weight a lot. But 5.4 yards per carry. And a lot more volume. I will say there was a lot more volume with Adrian Peterson. But still, Kennedy Brooks averaged two more yards a carry yeah. over Adrian Peterson. And there was... Games where he would disappear for quarters. Yeah. Not because he wasn't doing anything, just because he wasn't involved. Yeah, they wouldn't just, they wouldn't hand him the football. It's, I don't know. That, 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 the Kennedy Brooks thing is one of the most bizarre things to me of all. And I know that, like, Trey Sermon also, like, was very productive, but, like, he had the, supposedly had the issues with the coaching staff that kind of put him in timeout and all that stuff. But, like, Kennedy Brooks didn't have any of that. They just, I don't know. I don't know what the deal was, but it was just another example of this year just being completely out of, like, whack and not really feeling super organized right um you said you weren't super interested in the national championship game you have uh you have a pick or anything how do you think it's gonna go i mean which team has the quarterback yeah i mean we saw in the sec championship game one team had the quarterback that could go out there and make plays and the other one didn't yeah georgia georgia like i i is are the defense the defense is probably a wash right I don't think so. You think Georgia's better? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the Alabama obviously has the X factor with um, Will Anderson. With the Will Anderson, yeah. yes, I almost said Will Harris, but Will Anderson. Yeah. Always, I mean, that's a huge X factor, especially when you consider that you know Georgia has Stetson Bennett and like he has major deficiencies as a quarterback compared to Bryce Young. I, I mean, it's Alabama. I mean, Nick Saban is Nick Saban, and I don't know unless. Unless Georgia had, can pull like a Tua situation, and you know, they got some freshman on the bench that hasn't played this year, they could come in. Well, they have and, JT Daniels, yeah. I mean, well, that's not the answer. It's got to be somebody else. Well, if they fall behind, I think JT Daniels. JT Daniels is clearly the better passer between he and Stetson Bennett. For the sure, problem is the field he's just not mobile. So, like in terms of kind of giving somebody a balanced look, um, Stetson Bennett probably does that better. But I mean, if you just need to throw the football, TJ Daniels is way better. Yeah, so I just. Oh man, Alabama just and uh, I think the names are slipping my mind. Uh, I, I, I I don't know. I mean, I know that look, Georgia's defense is obviously amazing, but like, do you have the ability to stop Jamison Williams for four quarters from stretching the field? And like, I I don't even think it's that as much as like I my biggest question with this game is the Alabama offensive line and are they going to look like the group that played against Auburn or are they going to look like the group that played against Georgia the last time? Georgia has dominated the line of scrimmage in every game they played this year except for the Alabama game. And the Alabama offensive line has not been dominant in both the run and pass game every single week except for the Georgia game. Like, you got the very best effort from the Alabama O-line in that game of the season. You got the very worst effort from the Georgia defensive front in that game. And if you play that game 10 times, like, I feel like Georgia probably wins the majority, but it's going to be a good battle. And I think the difference is if Georgia can do what they've done most weeks this season and get to Bryce Young more then obviously he's not able to just throw darts down the field to all of those talented pass catchers. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that, that to me is the X factor of this game. That that if, if they protect him the way they did in that first matchup in the SEC championship game, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or Caleb Williams, any of those dudes would pick that Georgia defense apart. But 
they they protected and and uh, he got it done. And we'll see if I, I think Georgia's going to be significantly better this time around. I think it's going to be a good game. I mean, is it, I mean, they're the two best teams in college football, and they have been all yeah. season. I mean, maybe you sprinkle in Ohio State, especially after I mean what that what that passing attack did to Utah. I mean, that was, that was unreal, insane. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are the two teams all year. That, I mean, nobody's shocked. Yeah. I mean, especially with, especially as the season went on and Bryce Young just consistently got better. Yeah. Every week. But what's the spread on this game, by the way? I think Georgia's three, Georgia's favored by three. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, well, everybody like here was the st- everybody so overreacted to that game where I mean there were people picking Michigan to beat Georgia. I actually thought it's crazy. I said last week I thought the Cincinnati Alabama game would be closer than Georgia Michigan, which I, I ended up being right. But like I, I Michigan does the exact same thing Georgia does. Only Georgia's way better at it. Like why would Michigan yeah. beat Georgia? Like Michigan plays right into Georgia's strength. Why would they win that game? It doesn't make any sense. Like Georgia's just gonna manhandle them. Yeah, I mean. Last time they played a national championship game, it was uh, it was pretty damn good. So I mean, Best I'm one ever, right? I'm gonna watch it, obviously. Ooh, I don't know about that. Well, in the CFP, I mean. Oh yes, okay. I will give you Sorry. that one. Sorry, yeah. in the CFP yeah. era, yeah. Yeah. So oh, I'm I'm obviously gonna watch it. It's a national championship game. So yeah. ooh, I, mm, no, I take that. I think Clemson, Alabama, the first time was the best. Was it? But okay. We're just, I mean, that's just semantics. That's just yeah. completely subjective. Yeah. The Deshaun Watson, a hundred Renfro for Clemson to win their first title and. 25 years or whatever. Yeah. Okay. But still, I mean, it should be a good game. Uh, I mean, you hope that Stetson Bennett, like, I mean, obviously Stetson Bennett's going to have to do something because as good as Georgia's defense is, like, they're not going to shut out this Alabama offense. No, of course So Georgia's going to have to score. And I think, that, I think for me, the most important factor, the offensive line you said for Alabama is a huge factor for Alabama. Just for the game in general, I think the biggest factor is can Georgia's offense score? Yeah. I, like, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if this game is, like, 24-21. Or like 2017 or something like that, but like Georgia's offense is going to have to score. Yes, I think it's a matter of how they have to score. Like if 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 it's a close game, that helps. Or sure. if Georgia's able to you know at least stay ahead on the scoreboard, it's a completely different situation. If they fall behind and have to play catch up, that's it's where past, they can't yeah. do it. Like Stetson Bennett's limited in the way where if you make them throw the football, he's not good enough to beat you when you know it's coming. So I which think is, I mean, which makes the whole situation tough when you have. I, to bring Jameson Williams up again, like Alabama has skill players that can have score long touchdowns in one play. It's just one play. If one play breaks down, yeah. Alabama has the dudes that can stretch the field or you know break plays and like make the difference in the game. And then all of a sudden, Georgia's playing catch up. Yeah. Like if you remember the but, first matchup, so Georgia scores twenty four points in the game, but they had seventeen at halftime, and it was a close game. And then as the game got away in the third quarter, the offense started struggling because they started falling behind and had to start yeah. throwing the football, and that's. That's where their deficiency is. So they, they can't Which, fall behind on the scoreboard by more than a possession. They have to right. continue to be able to run the football, play action, let Stetson Bennett get easier throws. Because as soon as Alabama can just start keying on, this guy's going to throw the football, then the, the offense is done. Which, I mean, which which outcome or which scenario do you think is more likely? That this game is low scoring and that, you know, Georgia's is can run the ball and like keep Alabama's offense off the field or the Alabama's offense is going to get on the field and score a few touchdowns and then Georgia's going to have to keep up. Well, again, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a matter of Georgia being able to score points. Like I think Georgia could play competitive into this game in the thirties. It's a matter of how they have to get it done. Again, if they could just continue to run their offense, I think they're fine. But if you fall behind and have to start throwing the football, it all collapses. Well, that's, but, but, but that's what I'm saying though. Like, Georgia's in that scenario. Georgia's offense is going to have to be clicking immediately 
because you can't like you've got to stay on the field if you're Georgia's offense. I, I mean, I know Georgia's defense is great, but like you still don't want George, you still don't want Bryce Young, the Heisman winner, and you know James Williams and like that offense on the field. Like you would rather yeah, not sure. have to, you know. And I just don't know that Georgia's offense. I mean, they could prove me wrong. Obviously, I mean, I just don't know that they could go out immediately from kickoff and be clicking in like driving down the field against Alabama. Yeah, I mean, they're they're not dynamic necessarily, but uh, you know, there's still some good playmakers on that offense. I, I mean, they have yeah, I mean, yeah, they have three I mean, different dudes. running backs that could take it to the house on any given play. Um, you know, I think people kind of sleep on like Brock Bowers and uh, what type of playmaker he is because uh, he's you know big tight end and. Um, I mean, there, there are some playmakers that if they can establish the run early, I, I think they'll be fine. But yeah, you can't, you just can't play from behind. If you have to play from behind, you're yep. done. That's, I mean, that's the story of this game, I think. Most definitely. So, um, before we uh, wrap up, I just want to, I just want to make a point yeah. or just bring something up. Yeah. So watching, uh, the disaster of a Monday night football game this week Oof. and, uh, in Roethlisberger, uh, throwing it 40, eight times. You know, I'm going to pull the stats up just because they were just so obnoxious. Uh, ben Roethlisberger's throwing it 46 times for 123 yards on a 2.7 yards per completion. Unbelievable. That's got to be a record, right? Oh, I mean, it has to. I mean, I don't know how it's not. It's. I mean, that's for, Baker Mayfield didn't really outperform him too much. I mean, ba- I mean Baker Mayfield was terrible in that game, but like from a statistical point, it's like right. Baker threw a lot more yards. Anyways, so watching this game and like I'm thinking about all Ben Roethlisberger, hate him or like him, like all the off-field stuff taken off the out of the picture. Like he's a first ballot hall of famer. He's one of the best quarterbacks of his generation. Two times Super Bowl winner play for the Steelers for his entire career. He's going to be a first ballot hall of famer. Absolutely terrible in his last year. Complete dud. Peyton Manning, the same thing. First ballot hall of famer. Yeah. Just couldn't do anything as last year. Brett Favre, same thing last year as Minnesota. Like it just, these hall of fame quarterbacks, all timers, just huge drop off at the end of their career. Just makes you realize how incredible it is that Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. At, at this point in their career, at their age, are still the two best quarterbacks in the NFL. Agreed. It's un- unbelievable. I mean, Manning literally went from setting the single-season touchdown record to the next year yeah. looking like he couldn't throw the football. He couldn't throw it 20 yards. Yeah, like noodle arm. Yeah. I mean, every quarter, I think, go through every Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, how many of them, when, when they get to 38, however Aaron Rodgers is, or 44, or whatever, look like as good or better than they were when they were 30. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are the only ones that come to mind for me. That at the end of their career look just as good, if not better, than they did 10 years prior. Yeah. It's incredible. It is. You're right. Aaron Rodgers, by the way, saw this stat the other night. Uh, over the last two seasons against NFC North opponents, he has 36 touchdowns and no picks. It's incredible. He's so good. It's, it's wild. I mean, he's... We literally, I've Matt, said, you and I talked about this last season, but we're literally right now watching, I think, the two most skilled quarterbacks in the history of the NFL at the same time with Rodgers and Mahomes in terms of for sure. what their physical skill set is and the throws they can make, arm strength, um, ability to extend plays, you know, the ability to, to throw the ball and make plays from all these different spots on the field. Like th- those guys have less confinements than any other quarterbacks that have ever played the game. Yeah. And, I like I always if this conversation ever gets brought up like Tom Brady is the greatest quarter, football player of all time but Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback of all time. Yeah, that's fair. And Mahomes could be there. I mean Mahomes 
they already have he already has the same amount of Super Bowls as Aaron Rodgers. And like, you know, if Mahomes keeps this up until he's 40, then right. you know, maybe Mahomes takes over that mantle as the most talented ever. But like it's crazy. I, another stat. Matt Stafford has thrown four pick sixes this year. That's the same amount that Aaron Rodgers has thrown his entire career. That's insane. Unreal. It's wild. I mean Rodgers is the runaway MVP, right? He has my vote. I think that just out of being fun, I think that I would love to see Joe Burrow get votes. Okay. Uh, just for the sake of like, that's fun. But yeah, I mean, I think it's between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. I think those are the two favorites for MVP. Yeah. And Aaron Rodgers probably wins it. I mean, his team, they're 13 and they're going to be 14 and three or 13 and four. They're going to have the best record in the league. Yeah. And he's been incredible. He, he, uh, he threw two picks in that week one game against New Orleans. He's thrown two since then. Yeah, it's insane. It's it, it it's the most. I mean, I just it's it's jaw dropping because he just doesn't make mistakes. It it just looks so easy, right? Like it just yeah. it's so free flowing. Like it just he it's almost like I don't mean this in a bad way, but like he's going through the motions, right? Like it's just it's so yeah. flawless and effortless. He's not in like he's not Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick. Like he's not the most athletic dude on the field. He just like like you said, like it's just. It's it's like walking for him. Yeah. Like throwing a 55 yard dart to Devontae Adams is like as easy as it is for me to like eat a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Unreal. Unreal. It's crazy. But yeah, I just I hate him so like, much. I hate him so much. <laughs> I, they're they're going to end up playing the Cowboys. I know the they are. And I'm going to be heartbroken again. Yeah. Oh, God. It's horrible. I called that Cardinals loss, by the way. I. Yeah, I don't I don't understand what Dallas is doing with the uh the running back situation. Like like Dax looked a little bit better the last couple of weeks. Like he's not to where he was at the first like half of the season, but like I mean their run game's non existent over the past month. Yeah, O line stinks, man. Is that what it is? Yeah. The O line's just yeah. completely collapsed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Offensive line just not good. There you go. And Dax not sharp consistently, right? Like this was so easy to call because Dallas has been nothing but inconsistent. And yeah. then they have their biggest win of the season and everybody's like, Cowboys are awesome. One of the best teams in the NFL. And on the flip side of that, you're playing a Cardinals team that's dangerous, but had not been playing good football. I think they had lost what three in a row. Yeah. Like, so you have two teams that are about the same quality. One of them just played their best game of the year. The other one has lost three in a row and is in desperation mode. Of course, the Cardinals were going to win that. Like it just, I said last week on, on the blitz all week. I'm like, no, this is a, this is a bad Bad week for the Cowboys. Bad week to catch the Cardinals. Yeah. Well, luckily they've already clinched the division and uh, yeah. they can lose again next week and let Philadelphia into the playoffs. By the way, Micah Parsons entered COVID protocol today. He shouldn't play anyway. There's no reason for him to play next week. Yeah, I'm just, just saying. I mean, it's, I know. I, I know. I'm just saying, like, it's a perfect time for him to go into COVID protocol because yeah. there's, he shouldn't be playing anyway. But by the way, just, yeah, throw it out there that uh, he's not going to win, but Cooper Cup also deserves some MVP votes. I mean, Cooper Cup's had a great season. I don't know that I think he's the most valuable player in football. But I didn't say he was the. Well, I mean, he deserves. He, look, he's gonna win the triple crown in receiving. Yeah. And he's, he's it's been an incredible season. He at least does. If you live in L.A. and you come and you have a vote, just throw Cooper Cup a vote. Okay. Let him get on the ballot and like establish that maybe a receiver can win an MVP in fifty years. I mean, hey, Devontae Smith won a Heisman Trophy. Why not? Right. Yeah. Gotta do something. Can't be Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady every year. Well, Peyton Manning asked that uh, Aaron Rodgers not win anymore after this season on the Manning cast. So, okay, well, well he probably won't. We'll, I mean, we'll see if he probably. honors that request. So, yeah. 
All right, buddy. I uh, have to get little man to school, so uh, always appreciate you. We could probably do an another another entire episode on just the NFL, uh, but uh, yeah, so I, much. Call to me. Talk I got about. No, I got nothing going on, so you want to? All right, buddy. Yep. All right, talk to you later. Bye. Podcast is over.